0: No my hockey the fold Welcome to the final episode of the fold for 2021, uh, and in what I think actually I haven't checked but I it vibes right that is what, what I think is going to become an annual tradition. I'm going to try and sum up the year in um, Aotearoa Media in a monopod. So if you came here to hear. A nice interview with with a with a guest will say, say interesting things. Um apologies. That that's not him today. It's it's just me. Um and obviously inherently what I'm about to talk about will be limited. Um you just can't fit the whole of this unruly beast into one podcast. Um so so yeah, and and necessarily we'll focus on, I guess what you might call the sort of the the bigger media outlets, um, the, the, the sort of mass reach outlets, and also on the the sort of the the just just things that change, things that that felt like significant. I'm going to miss things. I uh, I have not prepped for this as much as I as I would like. But uh, so so again, all those caveats aside, I think hopefully it'll be a good time. I'm going to hit whip into it shortly. Before I do, I just want to thank uh, our sponsors, uh, Vodafone the whose, whose network technology underpins the spin-off whose network technology we are recording on right now uh, and I just cannot thank them enough for sponsoring the fold uh, without it I couldn't possibly um, do this and yeah it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to. So 2021, you know like it's very strange to think about, but 18 months ago, the New Zealand's media was in an extremely perilous spot uh, you know the The most uh, intense data point around that was obviously the sale of stuff a hundred and fifty year old uh, combination of a ton of different newspapers employing hundreds of people with a massive audience sold for a dollar. There were newspapers week after week after week with almost no advertising in them This thing was was very very scary. You know, MBR could afford to buy an ad in the six o'clock news. Like this was this was weird times, and we're now eighteen months on. And you know, with the exception of the Bauer implosion, which was probably the other the big the other big data point um, around that time, they sort of bookended the lockdown those two events. Uh, This thing feels. Fine. And it's almost eerie. And I'll get into some of that shortly. But you know, a lot of a lot of media is either privately held or doesn't disclose its its account. So we can only really go off the results of a few companies to get a sense of how the you know the the media that is domiciled here is tracking. And the the, the two there's, there are sort of three big results which sort of suggest it's it's in better health than anyone would have anticipated. TVNZ delivered its biggest profit in years this year. Uh, NZME did the same. They're debt free, I think, for the first time in a long time. Their share price is up around tenfold since it's um it's March April twenty twenty doldrums. Um, and there was just recently a profit upgrade for Sky, which saw a, a big share price jump for them. So you get a sense that you know those those what what you might call the legacy media what you know and that term was was used quite derisively to sort of suggest that their their time was finished well it's not over just yet, I think is what those results say and and what they they also say is underneath that uh, there is significant albeit probably a little bit later than you'd hope, digital transformation happening. You know, the, the NZME is starting to show really significant numbers of pure online subscribers now. That's, that's a really big thing for its Herald project, product. And the uh, the radio stations remain resilient, obviously led by the powerhouse that is News Talk ZB. TVNZ on demand continues to be the preeminent local video on demand platform, and Neon is becoming pretty much a must-have for any sort of serious streaming person. And you know, there's a sort of the the two things that you see there are a resilience, a surprising resilience after for the, um, the traditional products basically what that means is people who are over about 50 55 have not changed their habits particularly radically they are still basically doing what they did before and they' f- and they've got all the money and the assets you know uh, that's that's not entirely true but it's it's largely true which means they're a great audience to advertise to uh, so so the combination of you know, and, and that money can be recycled into to building out digital ventures. So, what I'll do today is kind of try and drill into these companies or market segments in a little bit more detail. Again, I'm going to miss things, but um, but broadly speaking, that 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 is the, the the picture that you can feel at this end from 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 those bigger companies is that they're they're doing a lot better than anyone anticipated. Um, so I'll talk about them in turn shortly, but I, I kind of want to talk about some of the big thematics um, before then. The big thing that happened to to journalism this year was the launch of the Public Interest Journalism Fund. It was it's it's a very large sum of money to 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 hit journalism all at the same time uh, fifty million dollars over three years, and the first you know roughly twenty million dollars is if not dispersed it's it's allocated. So you're starting to really see. Uh, what what is going on with that? So the Public Interest Journalism Fund was was announced during a time when when media was in quite a state. It uh, was, you know, in some ways it was a it was a pure reaction that, to that. That um, that it was about sustainability for a media sector that that felt like it had just been declining pretty steadily for probably the thick end of 15 years and I don't think it's completely irrelevant to these good results that the public interest journalism fund exists even though a lot of them are accounting for a period before it actually dispersed any funds and I say that because what the, what the fund does is fund both projects and roles and and some kind of development opportunities that while you can't you know that this—it's very hard to profit from them as such. They are, they're, they're it's product. You know, it's journalists making stories for, for for different mediums that you can package up and do your normal kind of commercial operations around. And it's been—it's been a lot for everyone involved. And to to be honest, I think the timeline between its announcement and in, in February and it having to. You know, figure out what it was. Appoint someone, Raywin Rash, to to lead it, and then to start dispersing funds in, in a very short space of time was one of the <laughs> craziest things that that's happened to this industry. And was basically it was impossible to do it in a um, in a way where you weren't going to have some some growing pains there. The thing that. I think has been manifest about it is that while it was initially announced as a sort of a, a sustainability measure, once uh, it was up and rolling, it it also kind of gained elements of wanting to ful- fulfil some bigger governmental goals around representation of, of of a more diverse range of journalists and journalism's and um, a greater respect for totality. and you know, the process of doing that has you know it's not always been easy like one of the things it's trying to um ca- fix in some respects is the fact that journalism has been a much more Pākehā, you know both in terms of its the audience it serves and and those who make it for a long period of time but it's trying to solve all of that very quickly in the sense that there are a lot more Roles for Maori and Pacific journalists, in particular, then there, you know, at times it can feel like there are more of those roles than there are journalists to fill them. So, it's not been uncomplicated figuring this out. Extremely noble intentions. Maybe some of the timing was, was, uh, you know, the staging could have been different. But I think overall, if you start to sort of look at the, the. What, what our media, uh, sorry, not our media, our journalism in the broader sense of the word is starting to emphasize the stories it's starting to tell, you can already kind of feel it. Like there is a, a sense that particular story beats, particular communities are just more prominent and there's more of it than there used to be. And I think that is starting to transform journalism and will ultimately transform it for the much, much better uh, that was the sort of the big story of the first half of the year in some respects, and then has has flowed throughout the one that 's happened much more recently is the request for uh, the i should be very delicate how I phrase this um, the NPA leading a request to the Commerce Commission for permission to collectively bargain with the technology giants this Basically follows what happened in Australia, where the their uh, competition regulator essentially, you know, with, with with legislation alongside it, essentially forced Google and Facebook to come to deals with the major media organisations over there. Um, they initially thought that they could, you know, ignore that, and, and Facebook famously turned off news over there for about a week with a hurricane bearing down on the. Um, on the coast, that that didn't go very well. They they turned news back on and ultimately made deals. Uh, Google threatened to withdraw search. Microsoft said, "Cool, that's that sounds like a good new market for us." Again, uh, they they backed down from that and made deals. They. Uh, trying desperately to make that just the thing that, a thing that happened in Australia and that, that that isn't setting a precedent for everywhere else, what we're saying what we' are hoping to be given permission to do is say well actually you can 't negotiate a bunch of deals with a very closely related market um, in Australia where which you know where New Zealanders come and go from it constantly and expect that that massive flood of money not to have um, an impact on uh, our ability to kind of operate here. The situation here is different. There isn't, as of right now, a uh, sort of threat of, of imminent legislation. We'll see how that plays out. But what it, um, what it really kind of boils down to is an attempt, and you see this in a lot of places, you know, you see it in the, the number of Senate hearings that have been uh, for for the likes of Facebook and Google and Amazon over the past few months in the US, an attempt for society to start to figure out well, you guys have gotten awfully big here. You know, you're you're now turning over more than the entire country of New Zealand is making in GDP um, you know, combined. So and you're not really paying any tax and we haven't really paid any attention or regulated you. What have, what are we doing here exactly? Like this, you know, we've got people marching on Parliament who seem to have like a, a mind virus where they're they're refusing to take a vaccine that will save their lives. And that seems to be a very, very profitable enterprise spreading that that information, you know. And and it's there's by no means to say that Google and Facebook are, you know, all bad or, or even net bad by any means. Um, but it is to say that this thing is complicated, and our absence of having done some really serious thinking about it in an all of society way is really starting to hurt us. And and this is, you know. As, as Google and Facebook frequently say, I should say, use Google and Facebook's products every day, uh, have great relationships with people there. This is by no means personal. This is just something that, that is, is overdue to my mind. But, um, but this is basically, I think, you know, the part of, a, a, you know, Google and Facebook would say that news and journalism is a tiny part of what they do, I think that's probably true in some broad sense. I also think it probably understates the value of um, of what news brings to to their platforms in different ways. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But ultimately, th- what, what those two things—the public interest journalism fund, which was basically the government knowing, you know, seeing that journalism was in such a power state that it needed subsidising, and then at the other end, the news industry saying, you know something something is wrong here we need we need to um strike some deal. deals to that that which which you did in australia it sort of shows in a way that this whole industry the whole business model that underpins it is in in a state of of flux that it is in motion that it's the tide is really starting to run on it um because really when it when you boil it down to it like those those great results that I talked about earlier for TVNZ and NZME and, and and Sky and so on, what's driven that is not really digital revenues. You know, like I, I haven't studied the numbers, but this is just broadly true of all of all media is that um, the 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 digital side is predominantly made up of content. You know, TV shows, um, films. Uh, and And you know news stories, uh, et cetera, which is funded by, subsidized by, created by functionally by the traditional business model still. So you know TV advertising, newsprint advertising. And everyone knows that that thing is declining. It's really just a matter of how fast. And it's still now declining faster than the new revenue is replacing it. So the, these forces are, are just too large. To, to be resisted. So, you as a society, you basically have to accept at a certain point either we just want less journalism um, and and are prepared, you know less journalism, but also less TV shows, less. Well, what, what's your favourite media? If it comes from New Zealand, the funding mechanism for it is is broken, and and New Zealand on airs is is broadly static. So, or you know, look at the Public Interest Journalism Fund. You know, taxpayers just just have to start paying paying for it. Those those two things uh, are the the options, and then there's a third way, which is you know the the technology companies, which have sort of taken over the um, control of the of the revenue streams. You know, they, Google and Facebook alone um, take something like seventy cents in every dollar spent in in the digital advertising space, whereas New Zealand publishers take about ten cents. So you can kind of see that the scale of these things is just you know, they 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 barely, um, yeah, they they just can't even fit on the same graph. To be honest, that that will be a, a really really interesting and long running. I think that's going to be a decade long story. I don't think that the settlements that were made in Australia and regardless of the outcome of what happens here, I don't think that is the 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 end of it. I think there'll be a, a decade long reckoning with what the best way to tax, regulate, and sort of Fund those those elements of society that used to be self-sustaining is, um, and it's also by no means a, just a pure journalism story. We we ran an op-ed by Andrew Schusterman, who's a GM at South Pacific Pictures, about the extent to which you know, Netflix, which has just come from nowhere, wasn't even here in in 2014 uh, to be one of the the most watched. Channels, if you will, um, in New Zealand about how it has almost no New Zealand content on it, and you know for the local production industry and for the people charged with you know the, who, who view culture as something which knits this country together, knits all the diverse strands of us into one piece. You know they're starting to say. Netflix should have a a quota like like the one we um, the voluntary quota which which massively increased the amount of uh, Aotearoa music played on our radio stations twenty years ago. there is an argument for that um, you know I think I think there's a lot still to come in this space and and it's it's you know it feels like it's starting to happen because it's it's not just here you know in Canada Canada's um, essentially replicating Australia's bargaining code uh there, there will be, you know, France has got its own um, work happening there. The EU is starting to be very aggressive in the way that it regulates um, and scrutinizes the big technology companies. This is this is the big media story. So that's what I feel like the sort of big thematic sto- story is this year. Um, and now we'll take a quick break and I'll come back to talk about some of the big companies and, and what happened to them. Uh, welcome back to the fold. I'll, I'll just go through sort of a few of the 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 big media entities and sort of sectors and and kind of give a quick appraisal of them. Uh, as I mentioned, before, I'll start with uh, NZME, which you know, as I said before, publishes the Herald and and owns a bunch of radio stations and digital assets like the Herald website and and One Roof. Uh, it has been uh, basically on a, on a big decline for a while. It had had a very um, heavy debt load, which it cleared this year. And um, I think a lot of these big companies go through periods of feeling like they've just got, they're not quite sure what they are. And I think often that's the outside perception. Certainly TVNZ felt that way maybe four or five years ago in a way that it now feels very confident of its identity. Um, And I think the Herald felt that sort of slightly mixed up thing for a while. And often that's, you know, that can be because the work is happening behind the scenes and the decisions have been made. They just take a while to filter out um, into organizations at scale. And the big thing that the Herald was doing was a sort of a technology and almost business philosophy change. You know, when you go from being a free site that is just trying to chase the maximum possible eyeballs to still doing that but also very much trying to be a subscription site that wants the maximum possible subscribers you know that that is a big thing for your organization to process and you know i would still argue and i've said this before that those things are not purely compatible like you know when you have daily mail type stories out front you know not not all of them but a a, a, a smattering of them a smattering of them on your homepage um, and on social media at any given time, those things don't necessarily perfectly cohere with the kind of rigorous, serious analysis and, and journalism that you're expecting people to pay pay for that is um, you know, basically exclusively behind your paywall. But certainly, you can't really argue with the results. They They had a, a fantastic year financially, and there's one transaction, I think, which shows what they're doing and kind of gives a, a hint of you know what where they are at as an organization and that was their their um, purchase of business desk which was like maybe a couple of weeks ago business desk was one of i think the most impressive new uh, in inverted commas, entrants into the market in quite some time i say new because it's actually been around for a decade as a news service but it was reinvented and relaunched as a subscription product in March of 2020. That's a date you'll remember because it was the day the world went to hell, basically. A really, really brutal time to launch anything, let alone a business publication when business was basically put on ice for two months afterwards. Um, But I have to credit uh, Patrick Smelly, Matt Martell, and Brian Gaynor, who was an investor who who led that. They really, really worked that product like hell. They built a great team um, and... The thing was doing really, really well. They 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 had a reported ten thousand subscribers, which is if if that's a like for like comparison. And subscriber can be a nebulous term; it can you know it ain't been anything from someone who subscribes to an email to someone who's giving you hundreds of dollars a year. But um, but they they claimed ten thousand subscribers uh, recently, which is you know double what um the NBR has had at, at various times, or a it at a different price point. They they had just built a really strong, coherent product and and a recognisable brand in a very short space of time, and NZMe, which also has a very strong business offering, saw that and purchased it for for five million bucks, um, if the whole earnout goes right, and that's pretty smart stuff, you know. Like if business is a really core part of the Herald's offering, this gives them. A second channel uh, through which they can run that that business content. It also gives them a more specialized offering. It gives you um, work that you can bundle up together. They really have an opportunity to dominate business coverage in a way that would be, it just makes a lot of sense for them. You know, obviously there remain competitors out there. Interest still does actually a, a great and quite specialized job. Um, the, M- the MBR. You know, NBR is a, a, a great publication sometimes in spite of um, what its ownership uh, tries to do. Stuff feels like it's de-emphasized business somewhat um, in favor of its, you know, the, the kind of more social justice in a broad sense um, journalism that, that that fits with its mission of, of being a... a uh, donation uh, guardian style donation driven model but but business desk looks like a really great buy and and you know it saw its share price go up um i think seven percent which is you know more than the you know basically the value of the company went up by more than what they paid for business desk that's always a sign that people think you did a smart thing uh stuff as i mentioned before is you know for a company that was sold for a dollar, stuff has a lot of energy right now. It's recruiting a lot of really smart, um, driven young journalists. It, its whole, the whole feel of its its homepage, all of its products is just a lot more considered, a lot more mission driven than it was before. I think if you you look at uh, Potiaki as the kind of year zero of its um, of the new stuff emerging at that that thread. Has continued, um, you know the 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 extent to which it centres uh, stories from Te o Māori and its coverage is just night and day versus where it was a few years ago. Uh, so the sort of Sinead Boucher as owner era of stuff is is really rolling now. I went to an event in May where they were sort of celebrating their. Voyager wins, and um, they sort of presented a new brand that was kind of uh, freaked me out a bit because we were <laughs> we were working on our new brand. It didn't look like massively different. They haven't really rolled that out yet, um, but it's it's absolutely coming, and you can sense that there is a level of consideration for design, for imagery, just just a level of care with. Um, stuff that is is just not the, the kind of more tabloid version of what they were a few years ago. Uh, they also um, had an acquisition, albeit a, a smaller and more nascent operation in Ensemble, uh, which is a sort of fashion and style site um, founded by Rebecca Wadey and and Zoe Awawooka. Uh, and again, I thought that was a really, really smart acquisition, gives them a product that can go up against Viva and just had a... A very similar kind of feel, really beautifully designed, um, and yeah, they've already kind of integrated that into the rest of their stable quite well. They they sort of guest edited an issue of Sunday Magazine, for example, and most of their magazines, most of their newspapers, have had redesigns in recent times and are looking sharper as a result. That's the two big print organisations. The um, in television, I've, I've sort of talked about TVNZ a lot lately, so I might I might leave them um, and, and Discovery, uh, obviously, because I'm interviewing Kate Slater and, and Glenn Kine. But both of them, you know, huge rush of energy um, uh, uh, this year too, a lot, a lot of work and a lot of change. Uh, obviously, the big thing with TVNZ is uh, Kevin Kenrick, um, announcing that he's stepping down early next year, It'll be very interesting to see who takes that role. They will be in, you know, odds on to take over a combined TVNZ RNZ, which is, uh, you know, very imminent. Um, the announcement on that, I think, it, it, it's it's functionally an inevitability. RNZ, you know, on some level, is in a bit of a holding pattern, waiting to find out exactly what's happened there. It did launch Tahi, it's, um, its youth brand had the feel of a kind of a soft launch this is the thing that just before the pandemic you know around the start of 2020 they they announced as taking over Concert FM and there was a huge backlash to that and I think that that meant this this operation was always in a bit of a tough spot so RNZ and TVNZ while making great products are also in some way stymied from pushing out and on the same way that the likes of of Stuff and the Herald can. Um, the the last one I want to talk about in terms of the major organisations uh, is is MediaWorks, um, which was you know cleaved off from uh, three and and the company that has become known as Discovery, uh, basically bang on a year ago it. Uh, Cam Wallace took over as, as CEO and it, it just went straight into a really gnarly scandal or scandals. It had the uh, the Sean Plunkett um, affair where he was, him and jo- John Banks and uh, Peter Williams have at various times said stuff that just shouldn't really be said by any credible person on air. Uh, all have since left the station. Sean Plunkett is now talking about starting an operation called The Platform, which honestly I'm kind of curious about. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, and then immediately after that or even around the same time, there were just a series of sort of sexual harassment, even into sexual assault allegations, which largely came out of an anonymous Instagram account called Under the Glass Ceiling, Beneath the Glass Ceiling, um, an anonymous Instagram account and you know that that was a very much a kind of welcome to hell um, entree for Cam Wallace who you know these things are very serious but to, to be fair to him he'd come in from, from in New Zealand and none of it happened on his watch I think you find out the character of an executive by how they respond to that and you know he got Maria Jew to, to do an inquiry um, into the harassment and assault allegations that uh, report was released. These things are never released. Maybe an executive summary. Um, I think that was really significant. And uh and there was an absolute broom went through Magic Talk, which I functionally won't exist shortly. So I think probably the sync signal achievement, like that 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 stuff all comes under the the banner of fixing some longstanding issues, but the which is you know, important, but also not what you came to do. What you came to do is build. And the the thing they built is Today FM, which is a new radio station replacing Magic Talk, arriving in 2022. And honestly, just incredible uh, recruiting into that. Tover O'Brien to go head-to-head with uh, Mike Hosking mm. at 6 o'clock, uh, Lloyd Bird to take Drive, Mark Richardson um, coming off the AM show. Like, there's just... There's a bunch of and and Leah Panapa is the basically the sole holdover from um, the original uh, Magic Talk and, and and rightly so that's the one you'd want to keep. So you've basically just got a very uh, refreshed, galvanised lineup to take on the the sort of seemingly immovable incumbent that is News Talk ZB. Uh, Dallas Gurney has done a, a brilliant job uh, putting that thing together. Really excited to see that, and I think in general. MediaWorks uh, probably had the hardest year, but in but in some respects, in terms of that that recruiting piece, which is so important in talent-driven a talent driven industry like radio, they, they've they've done brilliantly and you know, correspondingly made it very, life very very difficult for their uh, their former sibling at, at three where, who gave up a lot of that talent uh, in those deals. Um, Sky, not a lot to say really. They've just you know Sophie Moroni took over um, as CEO earlier in the year and has basically killed it they they're making more money they've done good smart deals pay you know that they can afford at the right times they're really pushing neon hard and rightly so it's a terrific product and they should be able to raise its price um, I think you know to uh, in in coming years to sort of start to bring the um you know, to to have a, a better ability to recoup the cost of those those big contracts, and and I think there's still a lot to come once once the sporting calendar gets more under control. If they can create a great multi-sport platform like KO in Australia, then you know, I think that thing could really go as well. And the 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 sort of the legacy satellite customer does just sort of stick around and and tick on. So Sky is, I think, a really interesting um, you know, has been seen as the ultimate sunset candidate. They're they're very much saying that that it isn't our story. And um, and I think that they're really starting to prove that now. Uh, that's all of the, the the big organizations covered. I think I just want to talk about a few other little sort of smaller organizations and and little trends um, before I go. The the thing that's that sort of worth keeping an eye on is the rise of Substack. Uh, your regular listeners will all remember earlier this year I spoke to Hamish McKenzie. He's the New Zealander who was a co-founder of that Substack is an email. A subscription product, which you can basically pay to get uh, newsletters. It's been one of the biggest stories of media over the past year or so. They've recruited some some very big names. They you know they're not uncontroversial. Some people think that they are you know a place for where sort of toxic opinions are, are go out unmodulated. That might be true at times, but I think the real story is a bit more complex than that. And certainly in terms of the you know independent creator economy kind of piece there, they were real innovators and they're they're rightly highly valued and scrutinized. Um, But the point, I think, in terms of the local angle is that that's starting to hit here. They, um, you know, David Farrier's Webworm has been a a huge hit. um, And I think a lot of people both here and overseas read it. Uh, Dylan Cleaver left the Herald as uh, head of sport to start his own Substack the Bounce, which is honestly might be my favourite new media product of the year, full stop. I think Dylan writes beautifully and passionately and got one monster scoop And in and, uh, Carl Heyman, a very recent All Black younger than me, revealing that he's, he's battling dementia, but he also just, any time uh, there's, there's a cricket match or, or an All Black test, you get a really heady, uh, funny, cerebral analysis in your inbox the next morning. Could not recommend uh, subscribing to The Bounce more. Um, Emily Wrights, uh, you know, who's former spin-off writer and still sometimes spin-off writer and good friend of the site, has got her own um, highly successful sub-stack, as does Bernard Hickey uh, with The Kaka, who uh, writes about sort of the political economy. He obviously does the When the Facts Change podcast with us that That kind of thing feels like it's going to keep happening i think if you uh if you have a sufficient combination of big name, big social audience, high metabolism, and a willingness uh, and risk tolerance you know that that's the kind of profile of people that could uh could get into it and and obviously you have to have a sort of well demarked audience to to go to as well but I think that that that's uh, something that you should absolutely keep your eye on. Uh, I want to shout out uh, an Instagram account here. Uh, Shit you should care about. I mean, there's so much more than an Instagram account. Um, they, we've been kind of collaborating, sort of incubating them all year. Though they are very much an independent organisation um, run by uh, Lucy Blackiston uh, with with her friends Liv and Ruby. They're just a really, really smart and innovative. Um, New, I don't even know what you call them, and that's kind of the beauty of it. Are they a news organization? They, you know, they they make a bunch of stuff. They make newsletters. They obviously have this tremendously powerful Instagram with three and a half million followers, probably more than that. Forgive me for getting it wrong. Um, but they they do podcasts, which might be you know will be some of the most listened to podcasts to come out of this country. They, you know, the L- Lucy writes a, a newsletter that is just extremely entertaining and, and well put together every day. And they basically feel like they're free and creative and well-defined and, and and sort of just built for an audience that has just grown up on the internet. and And the idea of having sort of national boundaries or subject boundaries is just kind of anathema and doesn't really make sense. And so I find the process of both collaborating with them on products like Extremely Online, the show we made together um, with Expert Productions, our sister company, but also just just genuinely absorbing the product. I think the way that it takes really important issues and makes them accessible to people who wouldn't maybe naturally c- sit down and consume news with all its sort of self-seriousness and so on is, is something that this, you know, our, our whole industry could learn from. Um, and you know allow me a minute to indulge the the, the spin off story this year we've we've been super busy. We founded Daylight Creative, a content studio which has had an incredible year under the leadership of of Lee Lowndes. Um, won some really great business done a whole bunch of really great work um, swelled to sort of twenty odd people It's been very, very difficult working through lockdowns and so on, but um really, really enjoyed and been impressed by watching that and on the editorial side uh we we transitioned from Toby Manher an extraordinary shift as editor to to Madeline Chapman um I'll get her on in the early new year to sort of talk about that role um had a whole bunch of new uh people come in on the editorial side too um, and you know grown out things like technology, data journalism and and a whole bunch more, uh, which has been really really kind of thrilling to to watch and also exhausting um, you know and we did a lot of that planning just before uh, the lockdown and so you know it got, it got tense there for a minute and uh, and I want to thank our members for really basically saving our ass and having our back a- again. Um, Obviously podcast has, has grown a lot under Jane and the really big thing for us has been launching our new website, um, which I think, you know, in terms of its performance, its look, its feel, what it encourages us to do, the way that live updates work on it. We're just so, so thrilled with it. And, you know, I think that it 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 feels like it embodies our sort of ambition and uh, what you know, what we want to be doing in these these next few years, and feels like a platform where that that you can play there in a way that's that's really exciting. So, sorry, forgive me that that indulgence, but we have been busy this year, and I'm um, I'm really excited to see how all that plays out in the new year. Um, when we're really bit we'll be kicking on. So, look, that's that's kind of obviously there. There are whole chunks of our media, um, you know, from the magazine sector to to Māori media, which I haven't even been able to particularly touch. Here, um, really, really interesting things happening, and and basically all across it. And I guess that's that's the, the sort of paradox of where we are right now is I feel like there's really interesting stuff happening all across it. Like there is a a push towards digitalization there are, there are generations of young, wildly talented journalists coming on board who are just very intuitive users of the kind of current communication means um, plenty in our organization, but you honestly see them everywhere. And, you know, this thing has, has the makings of a really vibrant and vital industry, which is what it's always been, essentially. And yet... It also still feels, on some level, existentially threatened. You know, like there's a reason why it took a, a huge, uh, you know, effectively government subsidy into it um, because it was it was just falling apart. I think six hundred thousand sorry, six hundred journalists lost their jobs last year, for example, and you know. That's why the sort of stakes feel still for all of this new energy and for all these kind of windfall profits that that came out of the um, the, the the sort of weirdness of the the pan of last year that this thing doesn't feel solved and and that's why these discussions you know if if we're able to have them with Google or Facebook remain so urgent because the the, there's the the long-term trend is baked in and it's not it's not going anywhere. And you know, the the job as much as it, it gets it's it's an exciting one, it it gets harder. You know, like the, that that march on Parliament um was a terrifying thing where it was just journalists, you know, it was just it was that same kind of imported terrifying rhetoric from from the US of of politicians and journalists and liars who are you know, out to hurt you and your country. And, you know, we've had people walk into our offices off the street saying stuff that, you know, this is pretty freaky. We've had, you know, you just have to look at the comments on anything which covers COVID to know, you know, the, the kind of quality of inf- the information systems that are out there. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, journalists assaulted uh, this year. And that's, I guess, you know why why this all why this industry, which I feel like um, as much as it will you know annoy people and we will make mistakes just because of the pace and scale we're working at, but fundamentally when I do believe that the whole of journalism is is working to try and bring bring truth and light to important stories and that if there's more of it and more to counter the kind of waves of disinformation on social media, that is just, that can only be a good thing for this country. And that figuring this thing out is, is a, an issue of national significance and that as much as we annoy politicians, I think they, they know it too. There's a reason why we're being bundled together. And New Zealand has this somehow... And I'm sure that some people will disagree with this, but I I really believe it has a, quite a beautiful media culture and and a beautiful political culture, and those things feed off one another. And if you look at that on a world scale, it's just it's just different here. And I think we should fight for that, and we should should want it to to kind of continue. And so figuring out how to how to pay for it and how to distribute it and and all of that really matters. So. That's, that's kind of why uh, I remain sort of uh, fascinated by this topic, but also um, I think that the, these kind of conversations we're having, these things we're trying to figure out, really matter. Kia ora itewi. E Kiaihe te here, podcast manager at The Spin Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our Mahi by signing up to become a spin off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate.